Okay, let's uh, go ahead and get started with our Bible study this morning. It's good to see all of you once again. Good to have visitors with us. We're very thankful for any guests that are here. You're certainly welcomed and honored guest, and, and uh, we're just so thankful that you are here this morning. So you take out your Old Testament this morning as we start and go over to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to just make a reference to this uh, an event in 2 Kings 5 in just a moment. Also in your workbook, in the second half of your workbook, the half about the miracles of Jesus, we're in lesson number 7. Lesson number 7. As we continue in this series of lessons, I want you, as you turn to lesson 7, to also consider the... Uh, class schedule against the table of content. Notice how we're on the 17th at the bottom of the page there. We're on the 17th of January. This is lesson seven. So we got two more. And then after that, Mitch and I'll be starting Revelation together. So it's coming up, Mitch, pretty quick. But I think it's going to go perfectly with our Bible reading right now. So, so I think that actually just worked out by coincidence. Uh, but if you notice what we've considered so far, since we started this particular series, lesson one was about the water into wine. Jesus turned the water into wine. Lesson two, the explosion of miracles. We looked at Matthew 8 and 9, how you have one miracle after another after another and how they're all different from each other. We looked at Jesus giving sight to the blind, feeding the multitudes, him exercising power over, the, over nature, raising the dead, and today we're moving to another, another set of miracles Jesus performed, which is when he healed lepers. So what I'm just trying to get you to see from all of that is Jesus did all kinds of supernatural things when he was on the earth. He demonstrated power over just so many different things, and this is a particularly interesting one because of what it represented, spiritually speaking, but also because there was no cure, absolutely no cure for such a dreadful disease as leprosy. So we're just seeing the amazing power of, uh, of Jesus. And so that's what we're gonna study this morning. Before we do that though, let's bow our heads together and let's have a, a word of prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for your word and for you blessing us to see a beautiful day here in Arizona, to be able to come together, to study and grow together and equip each other. Father, we continue to, to ask you to bless us during a difficult time in our country. We pray for a blessing on our government as we've reached a transition point this week. We pray that you will just bless all of our government officials. Bless us as your people to continue to have the freedoms we enjoy to worship you and to spread the gospel. We're so thankful to live in such a wonderful country where we have these freedoms. And, and Father, we, we don't take that for granted. Uh, we're thankful most of all for Jesus and what he means to us and for what he did for us. And I pray, Father, that after this study, we will grow in our knowledge of Jesus and that we'll grow closer to him and become more like him as his people. Uh, we pray for the sick and the hurting and the discouraged among us, Father. We pray that you continue just to hold our hands and, and walk with us as we try every single day uh, to make our way to heaven with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So as we begin our lesson this morning concerning Jesus' power over leprosy, let me just begin by saying that the disease of leprosy is something that we can read about in both testaments of the Bible, right? It's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. As far as the Old Testament goes, I'm just going to give you a few references to think about. Uh, it's mentioned in the book of Exodus. It's mentioned in the book of Leviticus. It's mentioned in two chapters in Leviticus. Leviticus 13 and 14. In Leviticus 13 and 14, in the law of Moses, in the law that God gave to Israel, God actually gave Israel instructions for how to deal with lepers, for what to do with people who contracted leprosy. And I'm not going to go through all of that this morning. That really is not what this lesson is about, but I just want you to know that God had instructions for how Israel was to deal with lepers in the camp. That's in Leviticus 13 and 14. In the Old Testament, we also have examples, examples of people who contracted leprosy. Now, one is Miriam. Who was Miriam? Why did she contract leprosy or how did she contract leprosy? Maybe that's the best, better way for me to ask that. She, she rebelled. She was grumbling against Moses. And God struck her. But God didn't just strike Miriam in the Old Testament with leprosy. He also struck King Uzziah. Do you remember that in 2 Chronicles 26? Do you remember why God struck King Uzziah with leprosy? There's a reason why God struck him with it. He did something unauthorized religiously. He went into the temple to offer a sacrifice, to offer something on the altar of God. And because of that, God struck him. And he was a leper to the day he died. So you got Miriam, the, the sister of Moses. She was cast outside of the camp. You have King Uzziah who died, went to the grave with leprosy because he did something he had no authority to do. And then the third example is the one in 2 Kings chapter 5, the example of Naaman. Now, Naaman, his account is particularly interesting. In 2 Kings chapter 5, notice what the Bible says. If you look at just verse number 1 there, just look at verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman's story is a particularly interesting story. First, it's interesting because unlike Miriam and King Uzziah, unlike the people that God was giving, giving instructions for in the book of Leviticus, Naaman is a Gentile. He's a Syrian. He is the captain of the army of the king of the Syrians. So he's a man who has a high position. He's a respected commander in the army of the group of people who are actually enemies of Israel during his time. He's a respected man. He's a valiant man. But the Bible says he's a leper. So he's got a lot going for him, but he has a dreadful disease. He's a leper. So what does it mean to be a leper? Well, I'm just going to write, put a few things on here for you to think about. Leprosy. Leprosy is a hideous, horrifying, flesh-destroying disease. It began with a small patch of discolored skin, and it was spread until the entire body was covered with crusty, scales, and sores. The disease would eat into a person's tissue until 
destroying the internal organs until slowly the entire body was consumed. So you literally were a walking dead person. People infected, and this is especially the case in Israel. We see that from the Old, the Old Testament law of Moses. They were forced to live in isolation. They were forced outside the camp. The disease could be spread through physical contact. That's why they were forced outside the camp, because of how contagious it was. Those, were, those who were forced, those were forced to call out unclean, unclean. So if you were a leper, you had to let people know of your presence. You had to call out unclean, unclean, so people could get away because of how contagious you were. They had to warn others of their presence. Those thought to be cured or cleansed needed to be examined by the priest before accepted back into society. And that's important because you're going to see references to that in the ministry of Jesus. So this is a, a hideous disease. It's a dreadful disease. And it's something that, that Naaman had, this Gentile. Jesus makes mention of Naaman in Luke chapter 4. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 4? I want to show you a few things in the Gospel of Luke. Because Naaman's account was brought up in the ministry of Jesus. And Luke chapter 4, in the context of Luke 4, particularly when you start with verse 14, Jesus is gone back home. And home at this point is what? He grew up where? Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth. And he goes back home and he goes into the synagogue at Nazareth and he grabs a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, which would have been a big scroll. <laughs> he grabs Isaiah and he reads from the book of Isaiah, verse 18 of Luke 4, he reads from the part of Isaiah that says, The Lord of the Spirit is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. After he read from the book of Isaiah, the Bible says he closed it. He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then in verse 21, he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. By saying that, what is he claiming to be on this occasion? He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be God, the one who will be sent to do the things that, the, that Isaiah said the Messiah was going to do. Now again, he's saying this in his hometown. These people knew him. They remember little Jesus growing up around Nazareth. They remember little Jesus going to work with his daddy, Joseph. And after they heard Jesus say that he's the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah, they did not like that. They did not believe that. They didn't believe that at all. They didn't take him seriously. And so Jesus recognizes they're rejecting him. And he talks here about how since they are going to reject him, the blessings of God are going to leave them. And they're going to go to other people. And this really shouldn't surprise them because there have been times in the Old Testament when God's blessings went upon other people because of Israel's rejection of God. And he, he uses two examples to illustrate that. In verse number 26, he talks about the widow of Zephthah in the land of Sidon. She was blessed during a time of great famine while Israel suffered in the time of Elijah the prophet 
there Jesus is saying, God bless the Gentile, but he didn't bless you during that time. And then look at what he says in verse number 27. He says, and there were many lepers. That's interesting. During the time of 2 Kings 5, Naaman wasn't the only leper in the world at that time. There were many lepers in the world. There were a lot of lepers in Israel during that time. But none of them were cleansed. None of them were cleansed in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Only one person was cleansed of leprosy during that time, and it was Naaman. Naaman the Gentile. Now, do you think these people understood what Jesus was getting at here? When you look at verse 28, they clearly did, because how did they respond? They were filled with what? Rage, wrath. They were angry at him. They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew that he was talking about God's blessings leaving Israel to go to Gentiles. And they hated that because they had a serious, prejudiced, racist attitude towards Gentiles. That's just a fact. That's a fact. They did not like that. And they got so mad at Jesus, they got so mad at him that you know what they tried to do? They grabbed him and they, 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 they led him off to a cliff or led him to the end of a cliff and they were going to throw him off. They were going to kill him in his hometown, but through the providence of God, he got out of that. So before we got to crucifixion, three years later, people were already trying to kill Jesus. But he died when it was God's time, not on people's time. They were trying to kill him back in Nazareth. They were trying to kill him when he first started his ministry because they didn't like what he said about Naaman. They didn't like what he said about Gentile being blessed by God, how God took leprosy away from a Gentile, but he did not heal lepers in Israel. That really made them upset. And so Jesus preached about people who had leprosy in his ministry, and he did that on this occasion to take a shot at the Jews. But Jesus didn't just preach about people who had leprosy in his ministry. He also healed lepers himself. He didn't just preach about it. He also healed people. And so we want to look at two examples this morning. We want to look at the time when Jesus healed a leper in Galilee and also a time when Jesus healed 10 lepers, 10 lepers. So it's a total of 11, 11 lepers that were cleansed by Jesus while he was in his ministry. And so go to Luke chapter 5 now. We're, we were in Luke 4. Go to Luke chapter 5. Look at verse number 12. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. And then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8, okay? Luke chapter 5, verse number 12 says, While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. This man is covered with it. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and immediately implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he ordered him not to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, verse 15 says the news about him was spreading even further as a result. Now, go to Matthew chapter 8. Just look at the first four verses of Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew, the eighth chapter, verse one, Matthew eight and verse one says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a leper. This is a parallel account to Luke five. A leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see, 
that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So let's just kind of break down what's going on there. I want to ask you a few questions here. First, let's talk about this leper, this leper who encounters Jesus when he comes from a mountain, when he enters a certain city. How would you describe, and somebody just raise your hand, please. How would you describe this man's attitude when approaching Jesus? Give me one word, somebody, that would describe this man's attitude. Yes, Lance. Worship. So you would say he worshiped, right? That was actually two words, I see. But yes, he worshiped. Well, I'll let you get by with that one. <laughs> Anyone else got something? Humble. Humble. Anyone else? Eager. Eager. Someone else? Respect. Respect. All good answers. I wrote on mine, humble, very humble. And I also wrote reverent. That goes with the worship part, Lance. Because, yeah, see. You was put on the spot. I had time to think about mine. But uh, uh, and, I, and I say that because look at how he approaches Jesus. He bows down before him. That's humility. He bows before him. He's reverent towards him. And I also wrote this word. Now, this is more than one word, Lance. But I wrote down full of faith. This guy's got a lot of faith. How do we know that? He says, if you're willing. So he's already saying you can do this, but you can do this only if you want to do it. So he knows about Jesus' power. He knows about Jesus' authority. And he doesn't doubt. He says, I know you can do this if you are willing. And isn't that the attitude we always need to have toward Jesus? I know you can forgive me if you're willing. It's, Jesus has the power to do anything, but it's all about if he's willing. If he's willing, because he has all authority. So he's humble, he's reverent, he's full of faith. He says, Jesus, I know you can do this. Got, this guy's body is infected totally, it seems. And what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus heals him, but what led him to heal him? What led Jesus to do this? Yes, both of you are right. The man's faith is definitely a part of it, but go to Mark. Look at Mark's account. Because Mark is really crystal clear on this. Mark 1 and verse 41, the same episode. Mark 1, 41, it says, after this man said, if you're willing you, willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41 says, move with what? Compassion. There that is again. And how often have we seen Jesus move with compassion and that compassion led, leads him to doing a miracle? We've seen that many times, haven't we? That's what the feeding of the 5,000 was all about. So Jesus is moved with compassion, and he heals this man. But the question is, how does he heal him? How does Jesus do this miracle? Does he say something and the leprosy goes away? How does he heal the man? He did a, he did a big no-no. <laughs> you don't touch a leper. I mean, we're talking about, you know, we walk around sometimes, I want to shake each other's hands because of COVID. Leprosy times 100 you understand? Leprosy, that's one thing you don't do is you touch a leper. But Jesus touches a leper. Who would do such a thing in Israel? Who would touch a leper? Nobody, not, not anybody, because you don't want to get it. You don't want your hands starting to get all messed up. Because it's guaranteed you're going to catch it if you touch them. But Jesus touches him. Why does Jesus touch him? What does that show us about Jesus, that he'll touch a leper? 
We talk about immunity. Jesus is immune to everything. He's God. Go ahead, Brother Mike. Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. And you know, spiritually, when Jesus, we know when it came to Jesus using that language, that's what he's the greatest physician of is the spiritual disease. And that actually ties to this greatly. We're going to talk about that. But it wasn't just spiritual. We see physical. Yeah. Absolutely. Brother Don, yes, sir. Yes. Put your hand yes. In and bring it out and it's leprous. Yes. Put it in. And it's re- restored. The cleaning and the, the, the leprosy of going away instantaneously was the sign given to Israel that God was commanding them. Abs- no, that's an excellent point. There's that shadow there of that too. That's a good point. So Jesus touches a leper. I've just always thought that was so powerful. And so inter- I wonder what this man felt to, to finally feel human contact. So I'm telling you how long he's gone like this without feeling the touch of a person. Can you imagine going years, even weeks or months without touching, feeling a human touch? Jesus touched this man. This man may have gone years without feeling a, a, a person's touch. And Jesus touches him. There's that compassion again. And immediately, the Bible says, you see that? This guy didn't have to go sleep it, go sleep on it, or wake up the next morning. It was immediate. It reminds me again of Naaman. Remember when God healed Naaman, he told him, well, Naaman goes to Elisha, and Elisha tells him to go dip in the Jordan River, the nasty, disgusting Jordan River that he didn't want to go dip in. He says, you go dip in that seven times, and when you come up, you will be cleansed. It's going to be immediate. Well, at first, Naaman was mad about that because he wanted Elisha to do some elaborate thing, maybe wave his hand or something and just take it away. But he was going to have to understand that if you're going to get healed by God, if you're going to be blessed by God, you're going to be blessed on his terms, not on your terms. And so once he finally humbled himself, displayed the attitude that this man who met Jesus displayed, and he went and did what God said, guess what happened? God's promise came to pass. He was immediately cleansed immediately cleansed of his leprosy. Well, that's what's going on here. It's an immediate cleansing. And this is something you can see. It's not something internal where you ask somebody, well, how do you feel? And they go, I feel great. No, this is something you can see. This man's leprosy is gone. And after Jesus heals this man, he tells him to do something. And he also tells him not to do something. What does he tell him not to do? Tell anybody about this. <laughs> We've seen that before, haven't we? Keep in mind where he's at. He's in Galilee. Don't tell anybody. But then he tells them to go do what? Go and show yourself to the priests. Now, those instructions, go and show yourself to the priests, are important for a couple of reasons. First, as we pointed out, this is required under the law of Moses. It's required that when a leper is believed to have been cleansed, they go and show themselves to the priest. It's required according to the law, but secondly, secondly, this man doing this would have further verified the authenticity of Jesus' miracle once the priest examined him. 
So it's important that he do that, that he do this. Now, Jesus told him, don't go and tell anybody about this. What did the man do when Jesus said, don't go tell some, don't go tell anybody? He went and told everybody. He went and told everybody. And when he did that, the Bible says that things got very difficult for Jesus. When this man went out and began proclaiming freely what Jesus did for him. And, you know, I, I kind of sympathize with the man a little bit because don't, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But can you kind of blame him? I mean, the Lord has done something great for him and he just has to go tell somebody. And again, I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Shouldn't that, how, shouldn't that be our attitude when it comes to what God has done for us? How he's healed us of a disease far worse than leprosy, which is the disease of sin? How can we hide it? And yet we, we, we often hide it. We often don't tell anybody. We often go a whole couple of years. I invited one person to services. And yet this man was healed of a physical disease and he couldn't be quiet. And we've been healed of something that can keep us out of hell. And we're just some of the most quiet people on the planet. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And it's never made sense to me. But but this man went and proclaimed it freely and it got bad for Jesus. It got so bad. The Bible says he couldn't enter into certain cities. And I want to suggest that. When the Bible says that, when the Bible says that Jesus could not enter into certain cities because of what this man went out and did, that may provide a good explanation for why Jesus didn't want him to say something. That makes sense? There's a reason why the gospel writer is telling us that. Because this man, what he, because of what he does, now Jesus has to go out in remote places. He can't go into cities because this man's word about him and they're looking at him and seeing him. It's making, it's making things very difficult for Jesus. So that just, that just may be some food for thought there. Yes, sir, Brother Lance. I think the application on that is that even though you, you know, it, sometimes your acts of disobedience will hinder the teaching of the gospel. That's a good point. And, I, and, I think, and that's exactly what happened here. You know, Jesus clearly gave him a commandment, right? And I think Jesus gave him that commandment for a reason. And I think we see the negative effects of this man doing this because Jesus can't go where maybe he wants to be for a time. So I think that's a good point. Jamal, then we need to move on. Go in your Bible to Luke chapter 11 now, please. Yes, Jamal. Say it again, sir. Absolutely. Good point. Good point. Okay, so that's the first one. Let's go to the second one here, and then we're going to be done this morning. Won't read this one. I hope you've read it ahead of time due to, due to time. But let's talk about Luke 17, 11 through 19. Okay, I'm just going to kind of rehearse this one. In Luke 17, 11 through 19, and I don't want to talk too much about this one because at some point I would love to do a sermon on this text, so I don't want to give my, all my stuff away right now. But in Luke 17, 11 through 19, there's a lot of interesting things going on here. First, on this occasion, unlike the one we just studied, it's not just one leper that's healed by Jesus. Instead, it is 10. You got a group of lepers that's just together. And, and, and they come to Jesus. Jesus will heal these men on a journey. The Bible says that he's on his way to Jerusalem. So he's going up to Jerusalem, but he passes between what, according to the text? He passes between what? 
That's important. Geography is always important when you study the Bible. He passes between Samaria and Galilee. Now, that's interesting because did most Jews, when they traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem, did they go through Samaria? They didn't go through Samaria. And why wouldn't they go through Samaria, even though that's the quickest route? They don't like the Samaritans. They view them as unclean. So what most Jews would do when they travel, and I'm sorry I don't have the map up here. Forgive me for that. Uh, what most Jews would do when they went from Galilee to the temple in Jerusalem is they would try to get as close to the Jordan River as possible. Sometimes they would even go on the other side of the Jordan. And, and, they, and this is taking the long route. I mean, this is the long route here. The easiest route is to go right through Samaria, but they wouldn't do that. Now, this is not the only time we find Jesus doing this. We find him in John 4 doing this also, remember? That's how he uh, sparked up that conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was not afraid to go through Samaria because ultimately he was the Savior or he is the Savior of all people. He's not afraid to go through Samaria. And as he's making this journey, you got 10 lepers show up. They meet him and they're described as being in a village. There's a small village that they come from on the journey. The Bible says they stood at a distance to meet him. That's important because that's what lepers do. They don't come up to you. They call out, unclean, unclean. They stand far away from people. They don't come near people. That's how they did with Jesus. They stand at a distance to meet him. And they raise their voices, the Bible says. They raise their voices to Jesus and they beg for mercy. They beg for compassion. Notice what the text says. It says in verse 13, they stood at a distance to meet him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master. Notice they call him master. Teacher, have mercy on us. They're begging for the mercy of Jesus. And, and that's always the right thing to do. Beg for the mercy of Jesus. We need to be doing that today. I need to be doing that. When I think about the, the things I've done in my life, I need to be begging for the mercy of Jesus and always thankful for that mercy. So they beg for Jesus to heal them, to heal them physically. And so what does Jesus do? Let's talk about that. Well, first, let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't immediately heal them. He doesn't do like you saw back in Luke chapter uh, five. He doesn't immediately heal these people. He doesn't reach out to them. He doesn't touch them. Do you notice that? He doesn't touch these guys. He doesn't say, come near me. You guys are standing far away. Come, come close to me here. He doesn't do that. What does he tell them to do? Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why would they go and show themselves to the priest? Because that's supposed to be for people who are already cleansed. So he's telling infected people to go and show yourself to the priest. That's interesting. Wouldn't you agree? That's, that's very interesting. Maybe even initially it would sound ridiculous to them. Maybe even initially after they heard Jesus tell them that they might feel like Naaman did. What? This is not what we anticipated. This is not what we heard you do with lepers. Tell us to go to the priest. You haven't even done anything to us. What did they do? They turned around and started going, didn't they? What does that show you about those guys, even though they haven't been cleansed yet? They haven't been cleansed when Jesus told them 
to go. And when they turned around and started going, what does that show you about these 10 guys? That's faith. I think that's what this is about, don't you? I mean, that, that's my inclination when I read this is to see that Jesus is testing faith here. And Jesus is getting them to demonstrate faith because faith ultimately, and remember this for our sermon this morning, if I failed to mention it, please don't say I didn't mention it because I'm mentioning it now. Faith is not just belief and it's not just trust in God, it's obedience. You read Hebrews 11, and we're going to be studying from Hebrews 11 this morning. Brother John's going to read from Hebrews 11 in our scripture reading this morning. And, and just go home if you have some time, and I've done this in my Bible, just mark Every time it says Noah's name or Abraham's name or Sarah's name, there's always an action word by it. They did this. Enoch walked with God. Noah built. Abraham left. Joseph said, remember my bones. It's always something they did. That's Bible faith. And I think you see that here practically with Jesus. These guys evidently are saying the right things. They came to the right person, but Jesus wants them to go further. Jesus wants them to demonstrate their faith. Turn around and walk to the priest. Now, they had said, no, this is ridiculous. We're not cleansed. They, they wouldn't, nothing probably would have happened. But it's because, I think the implication is because they turned around and started going to the priest. That's when the blessing came, isn't it? Doesn't that remind you of Naaman again? <laughs> when Naaman got in the water and did, it started demonstrating faith, then the cleansing came. So these guys turn around, they start going to the priest, and as they're making their journey... They're cleansed, the Bible says. They're cleansed very different than what you saw in Luke 5. No touching, no physical contact. Jesus did this again from afar. He does this in a different, a different way. And again, the Bible says they were immediately cleansed. They were cleansed just after taking a few steps as they made their way to the priest. They were cleansed of an incurable disease. They were cleansed of something that was making their lives miserable every day. When they started walking in faith with Jesus, Jesus took it away. And Jesus still does that today when you walk in faith. Except he'll take a greater disease away, and that's sin. Now, it is interesting that you find a contrast. So I've been nice to these guys so far. I'm about to get a little mean to some of them. Because there's a contrast given here in this text, isn't there? After the cleansing has taken place. Remember, you got 10 of these guys who have leprosy and all 10, all 10 are cleansed. Nobody can look and say, wait a minute, why did you get cleansed and not me? They all are cleansed. But out of the 10, what do nine of them do? They're happy, but they don't do what we talked about this morning in our lesson, do they? They don't show respect. They don't show any honor. They don't give glory to God, do they? They're so happy, and, and that's something we got to remember. You know, sometimes we can pray for something, and we'll pray for something, and God will bless it to us. And in our happiness and in our joy, you know, we forget to do. We forget to say thank you. We don't have a problem asking for it, but we have a problem saying thank you so often. So nine of these guys give no glory to God. Only one did. And the interesting thing about this one guy is Jesus, or the Bible says he's a foreigner. He's a Samaritan of all people. He's not from Israelite stock. In fact, he is from a group of people that the Israelites can't stand. He's not a full-blooded Jew. 
He's from a people that the Israelites have a racist attitude towards. But after being healed, he's the one that goes back to Jesus. He's the one that glorifies God with a loud voice. He's the one that falls down and bows before Jesus. He's the one who gives thanks. He's the only one that does it. These other ones are cleansed. They're gone by their way. But only one says thank you, and it's the one that you would least expect. The one who is not an Israelite. The one that is not a full-blooded Jew. And this is not the only time in the Bible where we find foreigners responding to Jesus' blessings in a much superior way than Israelites. This is not the only time, is it? We see Jesus bringing this up constantly in his ministry. Remember what he said about the centurion? I found no one with greater faith in Israel than this man. Dale, do you have a comment, sir? Go right ahead. Yes. And you know what? That's important, Dale, because people who are truly thankful are those who really first understand how bad the situation is. Uh, and, and I think that's a great application point for us in our condition, which is a far worse condition than what you find going on with leprosy. So I, I, point well taken. Good, good point. Uh, anyone else have any comments about about that? Uh, that's all I really wanted to say about that. I, yes, sir, brother, brother Ryan, go right ahead, sir. And that's what Jesus says: your faith has made you whole. Uh, I really like that, and uh, that's kind of a, one of the application points I wanted to make. Was and that's verse nineteen, by the way. Faith makes people whole today. We are here this morning as God's children. We're Christians. Most of us are members of the church. And I hope I can say that all of us are doing our best to serve God. We're ready to go to heaven if the world ended today. We've been made whole spiritually, but we've been made whole because our faith has made us whole. Our faith in Jesus Christ. So just like faith made people whole in this time, it continues to do that, but at an even higher level today because of the sin problem we have. Another thing I want to say about this is when you read this, you see that Jesus' miracles were the real deal. This is not, this is not stuff you can question. You can see leprosy. You can see it go away instantly. This is real deal stuff. Jesus also expects us to remember the source of our blessings. These men forgot the source of their blessings. I mean, they came to Jesus wanting a healing, but when they left, they, didn't, they could have at least acknowledged that Jesus was the reason for this, that they're whole. They didn't do that. What about us? Do we understand who's the source of all of our blessings? That when it comes to everything we have physically and more importantly, everything we have spiritually, it's all because of Jesus. And Jesus expects us to be thankful. Thankful. Not just the verbalizing of being thankful, but the demonstration of thankfulness. And what is the number one way we demonstrate thankfulness to Jesus? Obedience. It's obedience. And then the last thing I want to say, and we've made this point, but I just want to emphasize it again. Jesus is demonstrating this power about over leprosy. Because he's really trying to demonstrate that he has the ability to cure something far worse than leprosy. 
which is sin. The demonstration of Jesus' power over leprosy demonstrates that he has the ability to take away a far worse disease. And he has done that for us if we're Christians. When we got baptized, you know what Jesus was doing? He was taking away the sin disease. He continues to do that, even though we can't see it like you can see him take away someone's leprosy. So let's just stop right there. I thought that was a good discussion. I appreciate your comments. Uh, all of you always make rich comments. We got two more classes left. Dale, if I'm not mistaken, this Wednesday is singing night, right? I think it's singing. So it'll be next Sunday, Lord willing. I want to make sure I get that right because Judy, remember, I messed that up last time. So I'm going to get it right. It's singing this Wednesday.